So let's open the scriptures together. And if you have uh, your Bible, go ahead and find the New Testament Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This morning I want to think through one of my favorite passages in, in the Gospels. Next Sunday, by the way, if you're here, we're going to start uh, a year-long study through the book of Acts. We're going to study through Acts. That's kind of what we do on Sunday. We, uh, we just study straight through books of the Bible. It's kind of what we do in, in, in big church, too, <laughs> here. And that's what we're going to do this school year in, in college Sunday school, study through the book of Acts. And just a reminder, Anna mentioned it, that Shane and Shane are going to be here next week. Not only are they doing a concert Sunday night, um, but just FYI, just keep it between us, they're going to be leading worship in here uh, during college Sunday school. So I know that'll be a step down from what we heard this morning, but it, we can... <laughs> We can do it. We can pull through for just one week. All right. Um, so, yeah, we, we studied through books of the Bible. This past school year, we studied through Hebrews. This past summer, for the summer crowd, we studied through the Minor Prophets. This year's the book of Acts. That's the MO for Sunday mornings. Just study through the scriptures. Wednesday nights, college Bible study, also in this room, CBS, college Bible study. It tends to be more topical. So, this, starting this Wednesday, this, this particular Wednesday starts at an abnormal time, it starts at 7. Uh, because we're going to have a pancake dinner for the, for the kickoff of that. So at 7 o'clock in this room on Wednesday. Let me just remind you too, on the cards around your table, you have a card that shows you uh, our, our regular schedule versus on the right side and our welcome week schedule on the left side. Just make note of some things we have going on that week. Tomorrow night is a, is a, uh, uh, a trivia night kind of fun thing at Coffee Cat downtown, 7 to 9. That's a ton of fun. Last year, we were busting out the door. And it's, uh, if you're an incoming freshman... Uh, free cup of coffee, so come. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Uh, but anyway, this, this Wednesday night, or on Wednesday nights, we, it's more topical. We're going to be studying through what the Scriptures teach about the church. But anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's the basic MO. But Luke 5 is where we are this morning. We're going to think about a great passage here. So if you found it, um, we're going to think about seeing Jesus or seeing Christ from this, this passage, Luke five twenty seven to 32. I'm going to read it. Uh, and then, uh, then we'll talk about it. Beginning in verse 27, after this, he, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right, let's pray together before we dive in. Father, we, uh, we want to acknowledge this morning that this is your, what we just read is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And, and it is truth and all that it affirms. And it's our desire, Father, that we, we and it's we, what we ask you, that you would give us uh, eyes to see the truth that we see here. Give us eyes to see it. Give us hearts to understand the truth that's here. Give us then hearts to embrace and love what our minds have comprehended. Give us 
wills then to obey what it is you call us to do here. Give me the help that I need to teach and give us all, including myself, ears to hear what your spirit is going to say through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is a fascinating passage about when Jesus was still calling his, his first 12 disciples to follow him. And obviously this is the account of when he called a guy named Levi, elsewhere known in the scriptures as Matthew. Like he calls himself Matthew in the gospel that he eventually wrote. And there's so many different elements and angles to this, to this story from what we can learn about, about Jesus in it to what we can learn about uh, or learn from Levi and his friends and how they respond to what we can learn from the Pharisees and their scribes and how they respond. Um, so that's kind of how I want to, to lay it out as we, as we think about seeing Jesus Seeing Christ in this passage, I want to look at it from those angles. What do we see in this passage, uh, and what do we learn about Christ, what He says and what He does? And then from there, for the rest of the passage, what can we learn about seeing Christ clearly in our own minds and in our own lives uh, by looking at the responses of both Levi and his friends and contrasting with them the responses of the Pharisees and their scribes? So here's how I want to lay it out, and then we'll do it together. Um, we're going to look first at verses 27 and 28 and think about the merciful Savior. It's actually, when you read verses 27 and 28, it's kind of hard to put one singular adjective that would describe Christ in this passage. If I had to pick one, I think merciful fits the bill. But he's, he's more than that here. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's so many things. But merciful is one of the ways for sure. And then from the rest of the passage, verses 29 to 32, there's a contrast here. Uh, There's a deep irony in them. So here's what I think that irony is. In verse 29, uh, we see Levi's response, what I'm going to call the seeing sinners. The seeing sinners. But that's going to be contrasted with verses 30 to 32, what I'll call the blind righteous. The seeing sinners versus the blind righteous. Those who think they see and see clearly versus those who really do. And what I want us to take away from this passage, Luke 5, 27 to 32, is as we walk out of here today, having, having read this and, and thought through it together, I want us to walk out of here today with a deeper love for Jesus. And I want us to, I want us to, I want to come away from it having heard an, an encouragement from Levi and, and his friends to see Jesus more clearly for the merciful Savior that He is, but also come away, if necessary, rebuked. Rebuked. I'll I'll be straight about that. Rebuked from what we see in the Pharisees. Because the truth is, while it's easy when we read stories like this to see the Pharisees as the bad guys, um, if we have even a little bit of honest awareness, we're more like them more often than not, than we'd like to admit. We, we, we struggle in our own hearts with being these, these Pharisees and these scribes. All right, So let it rebuke us as it will, but also encourage us where we need it as well. So, all right, that's the layout. Let's dive in and, and verses 27 and 28 think first about the merciful Savior that Jesus is. Now, look again at verses 27 and 28. After this, he went out, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. 
sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. To see the mercy of Jesus in this passage, you have to think and understand just a little bit about who Levi is talking to. Okay? So let's think for just a second about Levi. It tells us actually um, not much about him. Two, two things, in fact. It tells us, first of all, that he was a tax collector. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. And secondarily, that all this went down while Levi the tax collector was sitting at the tax booth. Now, at first glance, that may not be a, a ton to know about Levi. But from what we know historically about that time period and what was going on in that day, it actually tells us a fair bit. Let's, let's dig into it. In those days of the Roman Empire, there was a, a fairly sophisticated system of tax collection. Surprise, surprise. Uh, that didn't start with us. In every culture, they're going to get their money. <laughs> and, and, and they're going to have a, a sophisticated system by which to do it. And so there was a hierarchy among these tax collectors. And, and at the top of the tax collector chain, one example of those guys might go by a name that is familiar to you from Scripture whose name was Zacchaeus. You might have heard of Zacchaeus just a few chapters after this in Luke chapter 19. And notice, based on what Levi's description here, contrast Levi's description as a tax collector with Zacchaeus' description just a few chapters later in Luke 19, 1 and 2. There it says, He, Jesus, entered into and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, So maybe you notice the difference between that description and Levi's. Notice he's a, he's a chief tax collector. Levi wasn't called that. That wasn't what he was. And it specifically said he was rich. Zacchaeus was. And in all likelihood, Levi was too, but not like Levi. I mean, not like Zacchaeus. Why? And notice what it doesn't say in, in that verse. It doesn't say anything about Zacchaeus sitting at a tax booth on the street. Zacchaeus was up in a sycamore tree, but not, on the, not in a tax booth um, in the street. No, why not? Because Zacchaeus by that time would have long worked his way up the chain from the the tax booth on the street uh, to be in the chief tax collector. And he now had people working under him, right? And and the people working under him, they were the guys sitting at the tax booth under the street. And Zacchaeus would get a cut of everything that they collected at their tax booth. And if he had enough guys working under him, he could get pretty rich pretty fast. And he was a pretty dishonest guy. They hated people like Levi. I mean, like uh, Achaeus. Well, what about Levi? He was the guy sitting at the tax booth on the street. Was he hated as much as the higher-ups like Zacchaeus was hated? Absolutely he was. Why? Because he was trying to get rich just as much as Zacchaeus was trying to get rich. And how did he do it? Well, guys like Levi would have reasoned If the Roman government needs to collect this much taxes, I need to collect this much for Zacchaeus, my boss, to get his cut. And if I want to make anything, I've got to collect this much so I can rake mine off first, hand hand over Zacchaeus his money, and give the Roman government the rest. And, uh, And just... Okay, one of the things that helps, especially when you're reading the, the, the Gospels, is just read it. It's what I call read it autobiographically. Like put yourself as if you're in the, in the situation, as if you're living that life. So just imagine that you are an ordinary citizen in that day 
and you walk by Levi's tax booth, he's at his tax table, and he tells you, you owe taxes to the Roman government. What recourse do you have to know whether he's telling the truth or not? You know, they didn't send you a letter in the mail saying you owe this. You didn't fill out a tax return. This is just a guy who represents the Roman government saying, hey, you owe. I don't, I, okay, how much do I owe? Whatever he says, how are you, how can, you don't know if he's telling you the truth or not, but what can you do about it? I mean, you have no other way from him knowing whether you owe money and, and it, you, if you owe anything at all. You have to pay whatever he tells you to pay. So these tax collectors were incredibly dishonest and corrupt and heartless. And men like Zacchaeus were hated for sure. You know, he was the guy at the top of the chain. But here's the deal. They had to look at Levi every day. They had to walk by him every day. He was the guy in the street. Right? They saw him all the time. Levi, not only is he dishonest, if I'm a Jew, he's representing the very Roman government that's, that's oppressing my people, that's ruling over us. Let me just add another layer to it. What's his name? Levi. <laughs> what kind of name is that? That's a Jewish name. Right? So Levi was actually a guy not just working for the Romans, but he was a Jew that had flipped sides and was now working for the Romans. The Jews hated, hated, hated people like Levi and avoided him like the plague. I mean, there he sat at his tax booth. I mean, if you were there, you would know and remember where his tax booth was, and I'm sure you would avoid him like the plague. If I need to get from A to B, if that requires B, me walking by his tax booth, I might take the back alley behind him just so I don't have to walk by his tax booth. Not only, not only for your own wallet's sake, but because he was a, dis, a disgustingly corrupt person. He doesn't care about you, why should you care about him? Levi would have been one of the most hated people in his day, and he would have earned every bit of it for himself. He wasn't unjustly thought of that way. He did it to himself. And now look back at the text. What does Jesus do? He walks up to him. Jesus walks up to him. And notice why he walked up to him. Jesus walked to him because he saw it was Levi who was sitting there. After this, and he saw a tax collector named Levi. And so he says, I'm going there. Right? When he went up to Levi and he said, follow me, amazingly, he did. He left everything. It says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. We're talking... That's really actually amazing when you think about it. We're talking about a real person with a real livelihood just walking away from it, just leaving it to follow Jesus. What would make somebody do that? And I want to suggest two reasons in this case. I want to suggest you two reasons. The first has to do with Levi himself. You have to be pretty miserable in the situation to be so eager to walk out of it so fast. And that's no surprise 
that this might have been the case with Levi as well. Yeah, he had gotten into himself into a situation where he could make a lot of money. But look what he had to do to get it. And that has to work on your conscience after all. Like, and Scripture says that's what sin does to us. Like, here's what Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says. Bread gained by deceit. Whoop. That's not even that. Not even the right verse. On the screen, uh, I'll just read it to you. So it says some proverb in chapter 20. <laughs> Bread gained by deceit. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterward, his mouth will be full of gra- gravel. And so no doubt, Zacchaeus said, I could get money this way. And it was sweet for a while. But after a while, it's gravel in your mouth. You know? And the Scripture is, is honest about what it does to you the longer you hang on to it. And, 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 and don't turn away from it. Here's what Psalm 32 says. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, kept silent about what? My own sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by, as by the heat of summer. It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to think that that might have been exactly where Levi was he, he was he was he was he had gotten into it to make money but maybe his conscience was getting the better of him but he didn't know what to do about it I've got to keep doing this just to keep putting bread on my table but how am I going to get out of this and Jesus walks up this is my way out this is my way out but that's the other reason Levi got up and walked away from everything, not just because he was most likely absolutely miserable in his own conscience about his life, but Jesus actually walked up to him. Everybody else avoided him like the plague, and Jesus walked up to him. And he walked up to him because he knew who he was. And he and he, and 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 didn't want to get away from him. He he and he wanted Levi not to just. He didn't want to speak to him. He says, "Levi, come with me." And this story here is all the more amazing when you realize that this story is stuck in the middle of a neighborhood of of Luke's gospel, where the constant focus is Jesus knows what is inside of us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. We don't have to say a word. He knows. That's over and over again in Luke. A few verses earlier in, in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them. Chapter 6, verse 8, but He knew their thoughts. Chapter 9, verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts. Chapter 11, verse 17, but He, knowing their thoughts, over and over and over again in Luke's Gospel, he, you think it's hidden from everybody, He knows you. He knows the thought that is in your head that nobody else knows. He knows the love of your hearts and the reason of your hearts that nobody else knows. He knows. And what does He do with it? He still walks up to you. Jesus knew Levi before He walked up to him. He knew the life He was living. He knew the choices that He had made. And He loved him. Jesus is so Merciful. He is 
more merciful than you can possibly imagine. Levi was not looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for Levi. Levi was not calling out for Jesus. Jesus was calling out for him. Jesus knew every blessed thing about Levi. And he came to him and he called him not just to do something for him, but to be with him. Jesus is merciful. Not just because he loved Levi when nobody else did, but he's merciful in that he called him out of the life that was ruining his life. Jesus, and Jesus, clear from the rest of the story, Jesus wasn't calling him to leave his life, but to find his life in him. So how did Levi respond? Well, of course, we've already seen he got up and he left everything and he followed him. But what else does the text say? And I think, the, I think uh, in verse 29 gives us the first part of the irony of the rest of the passage. In this verse, verse 29, is where we're going to find what I'll call the seeing sinners. But look again at verse 29. For what Levi did as soon as he got up to follow Jesus, it says, and Levi made him, made Jesus a great feast in his house. Isn't that funny? Jesus said, follow me. Levi got up so fast, but he said, before I follow you, you come to my house. And, and, he, and he threw a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So obviously, Levi didn't feel like he had really left anything behind that he regretted. He felt like he had actually found something, so much of something, let's have a party. And he wanted all his other friends to, to have the same thing. So he threw a party at his house. He invited Jesus and his friends. Not surprisingly, his friends were mainly tax collectors and other people just like him, right? Nobody else wanted to be around him, so they were, a, they were a tight-knit group, I'm sure. But he invited them and they came. And they found in Jesus exactly what Levi had found in Jesus. And just notice the obvious. Jesus was there. Jesus was there. We know, from, we know that from what the, what the uh, I mean, it says, Levi made him a great feast. It would make no sense if Jesus wasn't there. And the Pharisees in verse 30 are going to, they're going to stand outside the door and when they come out and say, why are you, Jesus, eating and drinking and sinners? Yeah. The reason that Jesus walked up to Levi and called him despite the, the kind of man uh, Here's, here's the point. The reason that, that, that Jesus walked up to Levi and called him uh, out of the life of, of, that he had been living is, is not just uh, because he wanted him to be one of the twelve. The fact is, he loved all of Levi's friends in the same way that he loved Levi. What I'm trying to get at in this is this. That ought to remind you that Nobody's a special case, one way or the other. Nobody's a special case. Right? Nobody at Levi's party could say, well, there's a reason that Jesus loves Levi. He wants him to be one of the twelve. He's got a job for him or something. There's no, I, don't, I don't think he loves me the same way he loves Levi. He's calling Levi to be one of the twelve. Levi's a special case, or I'm a special case. You know? No, he was there for the rest of them just like he was there for Levi. We struggle with the same temptation still today. It's easier for us to sometimes believe that Jesus loves other people. It's hard, a hard time to think he loves us like he loves them. 
Especially when we are really aware of the things that we've thought and done and what we've thought and done deliberately and repeatedly. And which one of us in this room can say that's not us? Well, what does this story tell you though? This story tells you that, that Jesus loves you too. He didn't just love Levi, he loved all of Levi's friends. Even though he knows you better than you know yourself, it tells you that Jesus is ready with mercy for you just like he was ready with mercy for the people at that party that day. And it tells you that Jesus is calling you to follow him and know him and be with him just like he did for Levi. Calling you to find your life in him. But the other point here before we turn our thoughts to the next guys and the end of the story is again, why did Levi leave everything to follow Jesus? Why did he want all of his friends to do the same thing? And why did they seem to agree with him and come to the party? Because they clearly saw Jesus for who he is. Because they clearly saw themselves for who they were. And they wanted badly his mercy. And he was eager to give it. They were sinners for sure, but they had eyes to see. But the irony of this passage is that it turns to the other side. In verses 30, it, 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 the focus shifts on those who are supposedly righteous, but who are completely blinded by it and don't see any need for Christ at all. Let's think about that finally for just a second. This passage has been a happy one. <laughs> Nothing but a happy one. But the mood changes as soon as the Pharisees show up. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You can just be there, right? You can just see it. They were probably waiting outside the house. And as soon as they walked out, that's the question he gets hit with. And you just you can just see it. I mean, they're clean. They're clean. And they felt clean and they really believed that they were clean. Jesus pegged them, though. He pegged them later on in Luke when he told a parable against them in Luke chapter 18. And this is this is how the parable begins in Luke 18, verse 9. It says, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Newsflash, those two things go together. <laughs> if you trust in, that you are righteous in yourself, you will treat other people with contempt you will look down on other people. Christians are not people who believe they are righteous people. In fact, Christians know very well, of all people, they are very unrighteous. And, and their only hope for righteousness is righteousness that's found in somebody else, namely Jesus. And our righteousness, whatever righteousness I have, is a righteousness that's given to me as a gift by Jesus through faith in Him. So if you believe you're righteous, you won't ever see a need for Jesus. Instead, you'll stand outside the house questioning His righteousness. And you'll treat other people with contempt. When, and, and you'll treat other people with contempt 
when they don't fit your preconceived standard of righteousness, which you think is pretty stout, but is in fact pretty weak in the sight of God. And the Pharisees in Luke 5, standing outside of Levi's house, were doing just what Jesus said in that parable. Certainly, they felt like they were righteous. They weren't at the party. They didn't want to be. But notice carefully what... Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and who? Sinners? Well, is that who Luke told us was at the party? Back in the verse right before it? What did Luke say in the verse right before it? Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Tax collectors and who? Others. So Levi, according to Luke, saw others. The Pharisees saw sinners. Sinners. So of course they were sinners. Jesus answered the Pharisees in verse 32 saying, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus agrees that all those at that party that he was at too were sinners. There isn't a personal planet for whom that's not true, but the point is clear. Is that the first thing you see when you see people? No matter who walks up to you, is that the first thing you notice? Do you see their sin? Is that the first thing that crosses your mind? Or do you see others just like you? Yeah. Do you see them or do you see their sin? Levi saw them. The Pharisees saw their sin. Hence, Levi loved them like Jesus did. And the Pharisees looked at him with contempt. They trusted in themselves but that they were righteous, but they were blind. We know that's true, but we need to, in this story we see it's true. It's, it's like really stark here. It gets kind of cloudy in our own hearts. We need to search our own hearts to see if it's true of us as well. Would we have been at the party? Or would we have been one of the Pharisees? The sinners could see Jesus clearly. The righteous in their own eyes were blind, but the passage ends just like it begins. With Jesus, I've come, I've not come to call the I've come to call the sinners to repentance. It began with Jesus calling Levi to follow him in repentance and faith, and it ends with Jesus saying he's calling everybody who knows they are sinners, and like Levi, and like Levi's buddies, follow him and desire his mercy. Jesus is a merciful Savior. If you've trusted him, be encouraged by this passage that he called you before you called him. And if you haven't trusted him, be encouraged and trust him today and follow hard after him. Go to that party. Let's pray.